Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Episode 3 of Believe in Rangers, a New York Rangers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Johnny Lazarus, and we have a great show for you today covering a ton of topics. And we've got an awesome interview with Dave Maloney, who is currently the color commentator on the New York Rangers radio network and the youngest captain in the history of the New York Rangers. We've got that and we've got a lot more. So let's get into it. First things first, in my opinion, I think the Rangers' playoff hopes are dead. I mean, these two games against the Islanders, at least one of them was must-win. You can't get swept back-to-back games by the Islanders and expect to make the playoffs this late into the season. I mean, we haven't been able to sob Semyon Varlamov all season. That was his third shutout against the Rangers this year, which is absolutely ridiculous. If you want to play desperate hockey, you have to find a way to score more than one goal. And that's, that's honestly a huge learning lesson for this Ranger team. They have to play more gritty if they want to be a good playoff team. I know we've seen a lot of pretty passing with Panarin, Zibanejad, and all these stars, but we need to have a grittier game. You can't go into two playoff-type games against the Islanders, who are a very good, sound, defensive, playoff-type hockey team, and put on the performance that we put on. I mean, they went down 2-0 in the first period, I think, in both games. That's such a horrible way to cut. You can't, you can't come back from that. I actually tweeted, I thought it was pretty funny, but I said... 3 nothing lead is the worst lead in hockey. We've got them right where we want them. Hashtag MIR. And a lot of Islander fans tweeted back at me after the game like, oh, how about that lead now? And I was obviously just joking. Like, nobody wants to be down 3 nothing. But that's just the recipe for disaster right away when you're the Rangers. You can't go down 3 nothing in back-to-back games. That just can't happen if you are in a playoff hunt. It's sad that they weren't able to find a way to win one game. I know a lot of Ranger fans were hoping we could maybe make a push and maybe, you know, get a first-round playoff series, but... I don't see it happening unless there's some sort of miracle, which, hey, there could be. I mean, I wouldn't count them out until they're mathematically out, but I just don't see any possible way of this team making the playoffs. And I want to actually read this email from a listener, someone I actually have a lot of respect for, Rami Lobby. He's a very smart guy, huge Ranger fan. I follow him on Twitter. He's got a lot of great things to say about the Ranger team. But he sent an email, and you guys can also email me at believeinrangers at gmail.com with any questions or topics you want to ask. But Rami said... We all wanted the Rangers to make the postseason this year, not because we thought they'd win a cup, but because this is a fun young team that would gain experience for the future and maybe can make some noise. Well, that ship has sailed, but the bigger issue is that we had opportunities to gain important game experience, even without the playoffs, and in those games, the Rangers essentially failed to show up, the last three versus the Isles and one versus the Flyers. The question is, what do you think it will take for the Rangers to show up for those games next year? Do we need to strengthen the core veterans? Is it just about the young guys maturing? And honestly, this is a great point because I think it is about the guys maturing. You look at any team that's won the Stanley Cup in the last couple of years. No one had so much success for, you know, five years straight and then all of a sudden won the Cup. A lot of them had struggles. You look at Alexander Ovechkin, who couldn't get out of the second round for a decade. You look at the St. Louis Blues, who had so many, uh, so many years where they went to the conference final and didn't get over the hump. I think you have to lose in order to learn what it takes to win. Look at the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2008. They went to the Stanley Cup final. They lost. Learning experience. They come back. They win the following year. It's not very often that you see teams announce a rebuild and four years later become a Stanley Cup contender. The Rangers are in a rebuild. As fans, we haven't really had to suffer at all. I mean, sure, we haven't made the playoffs for now four straight years if we don't make it this year, but it's not like we've had the pain of Buffalo Sabres or or Detroit Red Wings fans. Like, those fans have been suffering. Those teams are losing teams. I think the Rangers didn't make the playoffs for four years in a row, but they had winning records all four years. I might be wrong. I'm not a stats guy. But as a Ranger fan, they've still been so much fun to watch in what technically is a rebuild. And the fact that we're talking about how it's disappointing that we haven't made the playoffs in year four of this rebuild is honestly a great sign. We have so many young players that are so talented that will learn from this experience and bring it into next year. You also have to keep in mind that these guys haven't gelled at all away from the rink. And I touched on that a little bit in the interview with Dave Maloney. But team bonding is a huge thing about this COVID season. A lot of these teams that you see that have had that strong core for years are already very close. A lot of the guys in the Rangers are playing together for the very first time this year. A majority of the team, I think, is playing together for the first time. So you look at teams that have these cores like Boston, like Washington, like the Islanders, 
in a season that has to do with COVID, I think those teams with those older core guys are going to go further just because of their tight-knit camaraderie type group. This Ranger team has that potential over the next 10 years to become a very tight-knit team, and they will always remember this run. And you look back to the 2008, 2009, 2010 era of the Rangers with with Mark Stahl, Girardi, that's when those guys started, and they, you know, they made it to a couple first rounds. They lost in that shootout to the Flyers, but you learn from that, and then two years later, they make the conference final. Two years after that, they're in the Stanley Cup final, and the following year, they're in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final. So I think this year is just a huge footstep in the right direction for where this team's headed for the next decade, and I think in three years from now, we'll be really talking about a serious Stanley Cup contender. That's my opinion, and I think you have to lose in order to learn to win. So for me as a fan, I am disappointed that they're not going to be playing in the postseason, but I also understand that it's necessary for the success down the road. So I want to thank Rami for sending that email because it's a great point. Um, I also want to talk about Adam Fox winning the Stephen McDonald Extra Effort Award. Just being a friend of Foxy's, knowing him my whole life, it is so cool to watch a kid who grew up watching this award be given out every single year to Matt Zuccarello and Ryan McDonough and Cam Talbot. And, you know, there's probably a name I'm forgetting there. But for Adam Fox... Long Island, New York, born and raised to win the Stephen McDonald Award in his second season. I don't even know if they gave it out last year, actually, because of COVID, but to win that award this year was so cool. I'm so proud of him, and I'm so happy that he's had all the success, and I really hope he can win the Norris Trophy. I still think he deserves it, and I still think he's in the running, but I don't want to talk too much longer. I do want to go into this interview with Dave Maloney. I think you guys will really enjoy it. I love Dave. He's the man, and I hope I can get him back on in the future. So enjoy, everybody. I am very excited to be joined by a former captain, the youngest captain in New York Rangers history and current color commentator on the Rangers radio network. Welcome to the show, number 26, Dave Maloney. Dave, how's it going? Going well. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm good. When's the last time you were introduced by your playing number? Um, <laughs> well, I had to do, actually, I had to do a video last night for a guy's birthday who was, believe it or not, a big fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd do it yesterday, so... He actually wrote, it was for a friend of his, he actually wrote the uh, script. Oh, really? I introduced myself as uh, yeah, 26 in the Rangers, but not often, not often anymore. It's nice. it? Are you on Cameo? Pardon me? Are, was it a Cameo or just like a friend? No, a friend? just a friend. Yeah. Gotcha. No. no. Well, I was going to say, I, I mean, you kind of, you know, played a little bit before my time, but I was, right. you know, trying to find some Dave Maloney highlights, looking for some nice dangles, some goals, and all I see is you beating the shit out of people. Oh, no, that was not really, uh, not really the deal. I'm not, I'm not sure that I, uh, um, I'm not sure that I won more than I lost, but I was kind of willing to get involved. And, uh, no, I was, uh, you know, the game was, you know, in those days, you know, you, the the further you went up the ladder, uh, the less intimidated you had to be. And it's not so much that you had to prove that you could, um, get involved, but you had to prove that you weren't afraid to get involved. Mm-hmm. And I think the game has changed, thankfully, in a lot of ways for that. There's some, maybe some of our generation suggest the game's not quite as tough as it was when we were playing. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but, uh, and I do think that the game could do without fighting. So mm-hmm. all in all, it was just part and parcel of the generation I played in. If you didn't, if you got intimidated anywhere along the line with that physical aspect of the game, you probably didn't advance very far. So it was all good. I did see a nice goal of you though, against Boston splitting the two D men coming on the left side and, and putting them <laughs> home. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Uh, no, I think I was, see my generation, we were influenced by Bobby Orr mm-hmm. and the defenseman in those days, it, the game was a lot more linear in those days. You were really, uh, relegated to certain positioning on the ice. And uh, like I played most of the side, most of my career on the, on the left side. And, and if I got over to the right side at all, I was disoriented uh, to a certain degree. Um, but it was a lot more up and down game today. It's because the guys are so skilled and so talented. Um, why just relegate someone to some one area of the ice and mm-hmm. the coaching is better. The equipment's better. So um um, but I was more of an offense if I could skate and handle a puck and, you know, and, and stuff like that. But I was greatly influenced by the great Bobby Orr, former Bruin. Are there any guys in today's game that you think remind, you know, you yourself a little bit? Um, I actually, from a compete standpoint, it's probably Ryan Lindgren of the Rangers from a compete and get involved and 
you know, just a little more, he might be a little more rugged and, mm -hmm. and maybe I had a little more of an offensive game than maybe Ryan will have, but maybe that's an attitude. Maybe just that's the attitude. His attitude is the one I most kind of identify with. It's sort of, I would sure like to be considered a, a leech or a Fox, but you know, that that's not, uh, you know, you're talking about two of the elite in that position back there. And, uh, but um, no, if it was from a Ranger standpoint, from a compete standpoint, it might be Lindgren. But I he's think been, I had a little different skill sets. He's been a lot of fun to watch. Is he just a guy that's like impressing you every single night? I'm sure with, with Fox yeah, and also. He, yeah, I, I think he's, he, as I said, I uh, mentioned, and I did mention him after that he was, he's a guy that could definitely play in our generation. Mm -hmm. And I said to them, I hope you take that as a compliment. And he said, I absolutely do. So um, he just, yeah. And I, I mean, I think he, you know, it's interesting when you watch him and, and Fox play. Um, they played a lot together growing up. Um, they played in the development programs together, played in some world uh, USA teams together as partners. And they they have a real uncanny knack of being uh, their, their first out for when one of, the, one of them has the puck. Mm -hmm. They always seem to know where the other guy is in case that's where I have to go. And it's really neat to see... Um, that kind of teamwork and chemistry amongst the defense pair. Um, so, yeah, he's, uh, and I think both guys have benefited from playing with one another. I mean, I think uh, Ryan has benefited by playing with uh, Adam Fox and just to know that you might have a little more time than you think you have. And I think uh, Adam's a little more grittier, a little more grittier, a little more willing to uh, kind of, you know, get involved a little bit, make that more of a physical play. So it's been a wonderful thing. And, and they're, and they're both really a lot of fun to watch on a nightly mm -hmm. basis. I actually grew up with Adam. So I watched him play at almost every single level. And for me, just, you know, growing up watching him do what he's doing now in the NHL, he was doing at every single level he's played at. He like, it's funny, me and my dad actually joke, like Adam, the way he plays right now, he looks the same way he plays in men's league. Like it's just the same same style of play. So, I mean, for you, are you kind of surprised with how well he's doing in year two and the fact that he's being talked about for a Norris trophy? I, I guess I'm a little surprised at the great leaps that he's made. And, and he was good last year. Don't get me mm -hmm. wrong. There's absolutely no reason to not expect that he was going to traject upwards. I, I think it's a little bit um, he, I know the Norris conversation is out there. It's probably, it's legitimate. It should be out there. I, I, I don't think he's going to win what I want for him to win. I think, I think you gotta you know, start with Hedman, uh, in Tampa for starters. And then Darnell Nurse out in Edmonton's having a hell of a year. Both those guys have been around. I think if you were looking all things being equal, if you're going to build a team, you might take Hedman, uh, even now at this stage of his career. Mm -hmm. So that's the way I look at it. Certainly no, um, no debt to no detriment of, of Adam's game. I mean, he's, he is so smart. And I mean, it's no surprise to hear someone who grew up competing with or against him, that it's the same game because his game, the most important skill set are the six inches between his right and left ear. <laughs> yeah. You know, he just has an uncanny ability to, I often thought the real great players uh, saw the game, like I see it now in the booth, you see it from up top and you, you, you have an idea. I always thought that, you know, if there are 10 skaters, nine skaters and myself, uh, other than myself on the ice, I probably knew where, I don't know, six or seven of them were, mm -hmm. you know, on a good day, maybe eight. Uh, but, but a guy like Fox or Gretzky or Leach or, you know, and the Hall of Fame guys, they see the game up top. Now, not only do they know where everybody is, they know where everybody's going. Uh, they know where the guy went a month ago, that sort of thing, you know. So it's a really, it's a savvy, innate ability to play the way he plays. And, and that's the thing. And I think it's, you know, when you start talking about a guy who went to Harvard, you say, well, he's smart. Well, there's, there's been some guys that played at Harvard <laughs> Yeah, you know, not quite as smart. <laughs> uh, and that, and again, that's not a dis to discredit anybody else besides Adam, but he is just, mm -hmm. he makes things happen that, uh, but he's got, his game has to progress the Rangers to the degree. I think we saw it. I don't know when this will air, but last night the Rangers played the Islanders and they took a step up in weight class. And Adam, I think has just had one assist against the Islanders all season. 
So they're a little savvier, a little more experienced, a little bigger. So he'll adapt along the way and figure out how to play at that next level. And that's all part and parcel of growing in the National yeah. Hockey and speaking of Adam and speaking of Harvard, a lot of the Rangers defensemen came from NCAA Division One hockey. And, you know, you played in the OHL. You played for Kitchener, which is pretty cool. You're a hometown boy, right? You're from Kitchener? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I grew up, uh, I didn't really grow up in Kitchener. I grew up northeast of Toronto, but we moved back there when I was uh, 15. So, yeah, I was born there and, yeah, played junior there. But when you watch guys like Adam, Kale McCarr, Charlie McAvoy, who were playing Division One hockey three years ago, just to wear – college hockey has gone from I guess your playing days there was not many college hockey players in the NHL it was all you know Canadian major juniors so mm-hmm. is the development of college hockey like really have impressed you the last couple of years oh there's no question I mean American hockey there have been a couple of steps along the way over my lifespan where American hockey took significant steps and, and you certainly have to go to 1980 um, Lake Placid Mm-hmm. So that bred the generation of leeches and, you know, guys like that. And, and then in 96, uh, the U S won the world cup against Canada up in, in Toronto and, and it just continued to grow. And then when you had some of the neophyte American cities win cups like Dallas, Anaheim, uh, Tampa, mm-hmm. uh, St. Louis has won recently. Um, but they've had a hockey, a storied hockey history there. So that's bred, a num- you know, for, you know, traditionally the East Coast, Massachusetts, Michigan, um, but there's just a greater, there's a, there are more kids playing. Um, there's, it's more competitive. Um, the skills are, they can't, don't take a backseat to anyone. So if the college route, and rarely do those top guys stay for four years. Um, you know, McAvoy was out early, McCarr was out early, Adam was out early. Um, so, and I think the collegiate level, um, recognizes that they need those top players to play and are okay with the guy coming for a year or two or three and moving on. So, um, it's been a great breeding ground because there are certainly, uh, certainly uh, wonderful players that came through the NCAA programs and Mm -hmm. the USA hockey. Yeah. yeah, it's it's. I mean, for me, especially just being an American born kid, it's been really cool to just see the guys that I played with, you know, in college growing up, really right. just shining in the NHL right now, yeah. you know, and 10 yeah. years ago, college hockey wasn't even the percentage of players that made it to the NHL was not talked about, you know, much. Yeah, more. well, you have, you know, and again, you have growing areas now Long Island's always been. You know, they've been a hot, uh, for a while. My kids are, I, I have older kids and, and, you know, they were pretty competitive programs in the nineties in Long Island and uh, in the early two thousands. And, and uh, so it's, yeah, I mean, there's just more people playing more, more rinks. We used to have a hockey school up in, in Connecticut and actually in New York, in Katona, New York. And so when we uh, started doing it, um, there were only three or four rinks probably in a 50 mile radius mm-hmm. now you know there's twin ranks there's uh, you know so there's all kinds of programs many more ranks so it stands to reason that the american programs are going to advance and there's certainly a lot of proof in the nhl that they have are you in connecticut now yeah mm-hmm. what what uh what town do you live in i mean i live in greenwich oh yeah. nice very nice yeah so we, we, you know, in town, we have access to the Stanford Twin Rinks and the, and and Chelsea Piers and mm-hmm. Sono and uh, you know, my kids grew up in a little uh, uh, outdoor program in Greenwich, which was terrific, and um, so it was all it's good. But I've seen the immense. Uh, the coaching is different. Um, their skills are being developed differently. It's just. Um, you know, when you watch a guy like uh, Zach Jones play, uh, you know, he stepped right out. Now, again, he, he, you know, they won a national championship. So he's right at the top of the hill when he, he gets out. But he's, I think he, what, he was just a sophomore, right? Or did he? Yeah, he was a sophomore. And he comes in like he's played in the league for 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's just with his skills. He's so confident in his skills. And I remember it was probably you know i was an 18 year old i played four or five games as an 18 year old but it was i you know it was a couple of years before i felt that i could actually carry the puck over the blue line (laughs) (laughs) yeah well that's what the uh the college coaches really preach now is that they they uh you know focus on the step from college to pro 
mm-hmm. being less tough than the step from junior to college. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, I mean, especially the UMass program, I was lucky enough to play there for two yeah. years, but um, you know, they really treat you like a pro hockey player there. So I wasn't really surprised to see Jones kind of step in and be confident right away. Yeah. But like yeah. you said, Right. No, it's all, you know, I mean, David Quinn, uh, who now coaches the Rangers, had a pretty significant track record at BU and the kids that went through there. And the thing that, you know, it's funny because I've asked David if uh, maybe McAvoy wouldn't have been better served by staying another year or mm-hmm. Eichel or, or um, the kid out, Clayton Keller. And he said, no, they were ready to go after one year. And so that's, to me, a significant statement for those programs to be able to say, oh, my God, my program's going in the basket. I'm going to be losing these guys right away. Where I I would think it'd be a great recruiting tool for the top kids, Mm -hmm. right? Where if you're a young kid, you're going to get a shot at a program where these guys are really, you know what? If you can get your education at some point, good. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to develop you for the next step. And if you're there, that's probably even better. That's yeah, my impression that, anyway. No, that's, that's hundred percent correct. Especially for those top programs though. I mean, but then again, you kind of look at the programs like Minnesota Duluth who have been successful in the last couple of years that had guys that stayed for all four years. I mean, UMass yeah. this year was definitely fortunate that they, that they finished the job, but a lot of guys yeah. left right after, but actually speaking of, you know, college and UMD a little bit, a question from a fan, Dan Jackson, Wants mm-hmm. to know if you have any cool stories about the late great Mark Pavlich. Oh yeah, Pav. Um, the funny thing is, Pav. So I was wound pretty tight emotionally. Mm-hmm. You know what? There were a lot of things that um, didn't roll off my back. He and <laughs> I, he and, I uh, and Pav might have been. Well, the story will. He might have been the polar opposite. You know what? He was just. He was chill. He was. I think he had one sport jacket and a fishing rod and a <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So we used to sit beside one another in the practice locker room. And at one time we were on the West Coast, I'll never forget. Uh, we had a couple of days off. We were having some lunch and having a beer after. He and I had, had a great chat. And I, I said to him, I said, you know, Pav, I, I really admire your attitude about things. And I'd really like to be like you maybe one day a week. <laughs> one day a week <laughs> he said you know what Dave he said maybe I'd like to be like you one day a month <laughs> <laughs> so he uh he just uh he was a terrific player he had almost 100 minutes of penalties 96 minutes of penalties one year and and you know he had 38 goals I think was his best year which in those days that that was that, that was that was good stuff mm-hmm. And he just, um, he was a tremendous player, a tremendous competitor. Um, and then, so that to me uh, epitomized, because I did, I had admired his ability to just live in his own skin and be who he was and, and to have those more times than not to just have a little more serenity than I had. So it was mm-hmm. good. He was a really good dude. It's certainly his life went the way it did and sadly it ended uh, the way it did and um so thoughts will always I, mean, I have good memories of mark pavlich he was a really good dude yeah I, i've only heard a couple of stories about him just from other people but right um, from everything i've heard obviously and then the movie miracle you, you don't really get a sense of who he is but um right. you know obviously only wish the best for his family and stuff but speaking of sitting next to him in the practice locker room i'm curious to hear your thoughts on if you could sit next in between two guys in the Rangers organization history of it, what two guys would you want to sit in between in the locker room? And then, and then on the current team also, I want two guys. Yeah, no, that, um, it's a tough question. No, no, it's a good question. I I mean, I, I got, uh, you know, I, I was in a room with Phil Esposito. I was in a room with John Davidson. Um, Carol Vadney, uh, was my mentor. God rest his soul. Um, Ron Gresham and Don Murdoch were two running buddies. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I did get, so it would have been neat to um, be in a locker room with Hendrik Lundqvist. Lundqvist, you know, Mark, you know, Mess, Mess also. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he has an absolute cult-like following with the people he played with. Yeah. You know, the guys that really, um, the competitors, the guys that, carried the room uh, over the course of, um, of their careers. 
you know, having the ability to watch Brian Leach play in practice every day, that would have been, that would have been great stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I think on, on, on today's team, that's a good question. Probably. Well, now, you know, I, I, you know, my children are older than most of these guys. So, <laughs> um, that's a good question. I might have to have a minute to, uh, to think about that. I'll come up with the, uh, I really, really like Mark Stahl. Mm-hmm. Mark Stahl was a, a, a tremendous guy. Cal, uh, Ryan Callahan. Mm-hmm. Callahan was a great dude. Uh, just, you know, they were really hockey guys. Yeah. Right? I feel like Strom would be cool to sit next to. I feel like Strom, he's a, a fun guy. Yeah. Strom's fun. He, uh, the other guy, you know, the guys who become the spokesman actually for this particular group, which has been difficult. You see, this group has been really put together the way it's been put together. They haven't had a time yet to really, you know, last year, the season ended in March. This year, the season is what it is for many, many uh, reasons. It's unbelievably different than it will be when they get back in the fall. So there's been a kind of a, a throwing pieces together and really haven't had that time to uh, gel. But the two guys are Strom and uh, Brandon Smith, believe it or not, mm-hmm. um, have become real spokesmen for uh, the, the, the club. So, um they're all and they're as you know the locker room has its own personality and it should yeah. have right mm-hmm. and yeah. that's the one thing most miss i miss the most yeah of course if, if somebody could tell us we could play forever you'd say okay i'm in sign us sign me up i'm in i don't know if i want to play but i'll go get dressed in the room <laughs> that's for sure right right yeah. well that's the thing. it ends for every everybody who starts you know, it could end after, you know, you could get tired of as an 18-year-old or you could be Yager who's still playing at 100 or however old Yager is. <laughs> but it ends for everybody, right? Yeah. But I think the memory is when you're in competitive programs, because really when you think about it, right, it's the only sport, it's really the only sport where you all assemble in a room. Uh, you, you come to the room, particularly if you're playing in programs that are a little more competitive, mm-hmm. Um you all get together, you get dressed in the same room, the coach comes in, uh, what happens in the room stays in the room. And it really, it's so, uh, uh, you know, to our, I think we both acknowledge how important and how much you miss the room yeah. and get into the uh, beer league hockey. And, <laughs> yep. and, and, and then the room takes a whole different thing. Cause you show up and drink a bunch of beer after. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, so- I mean, I think a big thing that this team, though, and, and you just kind of touched on it a little bit, a big part of the inside the locker room camaraderie is what goes on outside the room, you know, when you're away from the rink. And they haven't been able to do that this year and last year because of COVID. So I think also, like, these guys are, especially the young guys, like Foxy, Lafreniere, uh, Kako, like all these guys are missing out on that, like, social experience with the players. So I think this team's only going to gel a little more once the world opens up. That's a terrific point. I mean, I've... I've, I've observe that and said that i haven't heard anybody else say that so you're well, good you're getting good <laughs> thank you, thank you. i mean I'm, i've been there so i get yeah. i've been on no it's true the like, best teams i've been on were the ones that partied together you know well the thing is it's now and again you know it's just, it is the social aspect i mean when you get to the best league in the world there's a notoriety that's neat neat to share neat to take part of need to be some be in contact that people think you're different yeah. And people look at you or respect you, or maybe you, there are some guys that wear it better than others. There are other guys that uh, might be a little quieter about who they are, but that's what I would think being a, you know, I, I, I mean, I retired when I was 28. Uh, so I had 10, 11 years of life from 18 through 28, 29. And mm-hmm. when I think of it now, and I was thinking at 21, 22, 23, if I had to be locked down, yeah, like it couldn't, couldn't go out couldn't no and, and again going out whatever that looked like right yeah yeah yeah. you know i mean it just it, the normal things like i have a 24 year old my son uh, the same age as you right mm-hmm. like everybody's been affected by this pandemic in a certain way degree and particularly on a social aspect so um no there's no question that yeah. uh, both of us agree that there's a lot of what happens on the ice gets formed off the ice a thousand percent and, Right. And uh, the ability to do that, um, if it was going to be this way forever, then you'd have to adapt one way or the other. But knowing that it's not, it's, it's hard not to think that it, uh, it has been difficult. 
Yeah. And especially for the, I know the college guys all say like you go from college where, you know, everyone on the team is the same age. You all party together, hang out together. And then you go pro and people have families. You don't even see these guys away from the rink right. half the time. So it's like right. even that much harder to bond, you know? Right. No, it's a, it, it is a good point. And it's not, and it's specific to every team. I mean, yeah. and that's why I think in the East to a certain degree, the top teams are all teams that have by and large been together for a long time. Yeah. The core. When you look at Washington, you look at the Islanders, Boston, you look at Pitt, you look at Boston, they all have had a, a, a more than an extended gelling period. There's a pecking order in the room. The room speaks for itself. You know, you talk to anybody that's been through the Boston, uh, that Bruin locker room when Char was there and, and Bergeron and Marshawn and Kretschy and Rask, they've been there a long time. Yeah. Vetchkin, you know, Kuznetsov, the whole gang in Washington, the Islanders. So the Rangers just haven't been there yet. They just mm -hmm. haven't been there long enough to to develop a personality. And it kind of pisses me off, actually, when I hear, like, I actually saw an Islander fan tweet tweet today on Twitter. I think you're, you're on Twitter, right? You check Twitter out? Yeah, I'm on it, but I don't partake. So. Yeah. Well, an yeah. Islander fan tweeted, like, oh, four years in a row, the Rangers won't, won't make the playoffs. Like, some rebuild. And I was like, that's the whole point of a rebuild. It's not going to take two, three years. It's, yeah. like going to take 10 years to really get or not even hopefully not 10 but you know it'll take five to seven years to at least be a contender like that's what a rebuild is well uh ovechkin went 12 years before he won yeah you know um mario went five years before he even made the playoffs um and and there's some great players that never won uh um, henrik brad park eric lindros you know, I mean, there are, it's a lot easier to lose than it is to win. And the thing is the, um, the odds are significantly stacked to lose because there's only one out of 31 that stand with the championship. You look at Tampa. 32 officially today. Yeah. The Kraken are in today. <laughs> yeah, the final check, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, no, it, it, uh, the Islanders forget too that, you know, they had a great run in the early eighties. But it was 96, right? 90, uh, David Volek's overtime goal against Pittsburgh. There hasn't been a lot of, there hasn't been a lot of crowning moments uh, for the Islanders <laughs> either. Yeah. Now, again, the Rangers have no, nothing to crow on because we've had one cup in, I don't know, a hundred years or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I hope that this group and uh, from, you know, the ownership management through just, stay the course by and large. Yeah. I, I also, I mean, not to bring this up in this kind of sense, but speaking of losing, <laughs> I want to talk about the 79 finals. Yeah. No, <laughs> no that, that's not a, that is a terrific memory for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thing that I'll remember the most is when it was over. So we lost game five in Montreal. I know it was best of five, right? It was no best of seven. Oh, it was best of seven. Yeah, okay. Best of seven. The uh, opening round was best of three. Mm -hmm. uh, we beat Los Angeles in, um, we swept Los Angeles. Now, how about that one? The game one was in New York. Game two was in, in LA. LA. Yeah. And then we would have had to come back to play game three at home. So we, uh, but at the end of it all, I remember thinking, you know, that's it. It's over. You know, we, but, and then I also remember thinking, well, we're getting a chance at it. And we had good teams. We had good teams with Herb. That, but the Islands were just better. So, but 79 was a magical mystery tour. We got on a roll and JD was, John Davidson was a goaltender, mm -hmm. which is not a, was not a new story then. And it's not a new story now. You don't succeed in the playoffs without goaltending. Yeah. Our special teams, our power play got hot. Um, the Islanders just were on the cusp of, winning, uh, you know, well, they would win the next four. I remember Mike Bossy. We could you could intimidate him, um, you know. We did, but you couldn't. After that, you couldn't intimidate him anymore. I mean, yeah. he just learned. And and when you look at the Islanders' four champ, they went three successive years. They got knocked out where they could have won then. Mm -hmm. So you know, when you hear people now, it's a, you take a look at most teams, other than the Islanders going from seventy four. 72 when they came in and then they won in 90 
you know, so it's 25 years, you know, so it's, you know, any winning team just doesn't happen. And it's even harder now with free agency. And uh, I know this is actually going to air on Monday, but um, mm-hmm. are you, is there like a little emotion to tomorrow night's game being the last Ranger Islander game in the Coliseum? No, because we thought that that was going to be the case. I guess, yeah. Before. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But it was my favorite building to play in. Mm-hmm. There was no question. No, on the road. Yeah. It was my as, favorite road building. As a fan, too. I mean, <laughs> I went to plenty of Ranger Islander games in the Coliseum growing up. And that was like, to me, I, I enjoyed those games over going to the garden just because the, the crowd was, the, the crowd fights in the Coliseum were <laughs> insane. <laughs> well, also, too, is that right from warm up right on, you know, there were people in the class. They were four and five deep on the warm up in both ends. You know, they, they were equal representation and, uh, you know, between both um, fan bases. And it was it was electric, and it was it was electric when they were on on balance. The Islanders in those years, from '75 to well, we beat them in '79. But on balance, they were better, mm-hmm. right? We got really good in the early '80s with Herb, but we just couldn't couldn't find a way. They always found a way to win. Yeah. So I was fortunate enough. I played uh, through uh, three dynasties. So I caught the end of the Montreal dynasty in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, was right in the middle of the Islanders uh, dynasty. And then if the Edmonton Oilers had been able to stay together, they might have won 10 in a row. Yeah. But it's funny because the, the Canadians were like the Yankees. They had a tradition of winning. They respected who you were as a, a competitor. Um, but they knew... They knew that they were better than everybody else, but they never, ever wore that. Yeah. The Islanders always found a way to win. I don't know how many times, particularly against the Brooks, and it's epitomized by Ken Morrow's overtime goal in 1984 in, in game five of the three out of five series. Then it, it, So to me, that epitomized who the Islanders were. They always found a way. And then Edmonton were young and cocky, and they just assumed... I remember I, when I got traded to Buffalo, my final season, I got railed right in front of the Edmonton <laughs> bench. Uh-huh. And I was 28 at the time. And I remember them leaning over the bench and they were going, get up, you old bastard. You're all done. You're all <laughs> 28. Done. You're 28. Yeah. <laughs> right, right? It's, like, it's like your prime now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they were at Glenn Sather had that kind of uh, injured smirk on his face and Grant Fear wasn't playing. He was, eating a hot dog in the bench. <laughs> they were just, they were so good, so cocky, so talented. But every, everyone, to my memory, every one of those dynasties had their distinct um, um, like personality. Yeah. Personality. Right? Yeah. So it was great. Well, I actually want to touch on the trash talk a little bit. Were you a trash talker back then or no? No, no, yeah. I was, I was a yeller and a screamer, but I wasn't a, I, I wasn't witty enough to, uh, <laughs> You know, there are guys that are really good. Like Gresh, Gresh was great at it. Mm-hmm. He, he was a gr- great trash talker. He's kind of, yeah, he was one of the king. Nicky Fatio was pretty good too. Um, so no, I wasn't a try. Like I was a yapper, you know, it's like, you know, like that, that you or yeah, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know? <laughs> but, uh, but it was all, you know, that bench jockeying and stuff like that. It still goes on because last season I was able to, uh, I was between the benches for the majority of the season. And it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun to hear some of the old school stuff that, you know, guys still yapping at one another and it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's all the game within the game, right? Yeah. Well, something I say all the time, I wish, you know, the HBO 24-7, like, Road to the Winter Classic stuff. I wish that, like, I could have watched one of those, you know, in your playing day yeah. to see what those personalities – because the best guy to watch was when the Rangers went and John Tortorella was, you know, just oh, mic'd yeah. up all the time. And, I, like, this one always sticks out to me. Like, he comes in the rock locker room and goes, Brian Boyle, you got a fucking microphone on, you can't think straight, or something like that. It was, <laughs> it was, oh, my God. There'd there be, there be tons of that, I feel like, in that era. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, there's, uh, yeah, there's certainly more animated coaches. There were more adam- animated coaches in those days than there are now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, these coaches are working 24-7, uh, you know, 12 months a year. 
And it's a big, big business of X's and O's now. And there are, so the louder coaches now are guys, Laviolette's probably, I have to think now, Laviolette's pretty loud. Um, well, you still got you know, Torts. Pardon me? Tortorella's still around. Yeah, Torts is still around. Oh, he's quieter now than he, than he was younger, too. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, uh, he's quieter now than when he was with the Rangers, for sure. So, yeah, there are, uh, Washington has the loudest, yappiest bench, They're the biggest, you know, <laughs> complaining about the officiating, complaining about the, you know, Tom Wilson to be yelling, yapping at Lemieux and be all kinds of guys involved. And uh, the Russian guys love to complain too. Yeah. Yeah. Ovi, you know, he, he kind of complains, but he can, <laughs> but they, you know, they all back it up. They go out and play, they play hard and uh, stuff like that. So it's all, all the game within the game. That's actually one of the best things I've seen on social media from this season was Ovi giving Lindgren some shit and Lindgren was chirping back at him. Yeah. Was, yeah. Ryan, Ryan doesn't take a back step. Yeah. Ryan doesn't take a back step. And he, uh, yeah, that's a pretty good, uh, you know, the, uh, for the longest time, the Rangers in those years with torts and, and, and they, later with Elaine uh, Vino and the come playoff time, the Rangers, you know, basically, uh, you know, knocked Washington out when they probably should have, they were the better team sort of yeah. thing. But uh, so there's a nice little, uh, nice little thing brewing there. So, but it's, it's good stuff. It's all, yeah. it's the best, best part of the game. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's yeah. Good stuff. But uh, we, we've had Kenny Albert on and, and Brian Mullen on two guys who have been in the booth. I'm sure you've been in the booth with them. I've talked to Kenny about some of his funny in the booth stories, whether it's like the bathroom or, you know, whatever it is that goes on behind the scenes. But do you have any funny stories from the booth? I mean, also, I've been listening to you guys on the radio like my entire life. So um, it, I'm sure there's got to be something that when I was like a 10 year old kid that I wouldn't have picked up on. That's yeah. You know. No, no, I, I, I don't know. I, again, my, the, you know, the stories are probably, I don't know if I have any funny, I'm sure there are. I just can't, uh, the, uh, Kenny and I have a tremendous relationship. It goes back to, uh, I first started, I got hurt in the playoffs in 1981 and uh, I ended up in the radio booth with Kenny's father, Marv Albert and Sal Messina. And, uh, it's funny how it would kind of morph along and I would end up, uh, working with Kenny and they we're in year 16 or, 17 now i mean there are a couple of times i remember the first playoff series he accidentally spilt water in my uh, laptop and I think <laughs> he just about he crapped himself wondering how i was going <laughs> to react mm-hmm. but i was fine the computer got to work and he, he tells that story and uh we had one on-air discussion about uh, that got didn't get heated because it uh, was actually had to do with Clark Gillies, whether he was a Hall of Famer or not. And uh, he didn't think he was. And I said, absolutely he was. Uh, that Islander team, you know, the sum of its parts, you have to acknowledge what an important part he was. And his numbers were good enough. So he was in there. So we had a bit of a discussion over that one. Um, but, you know, I think we get along well enough. And uh, I, he, he's just a tremendous pro to work with. Um, when I watch him work with other do his other sports the analysts all are really good mm-hmm. uh because he plays it well he sets guys up to and he knows when to come in and when to you know back off he allows you the the time that you need so he's a 100 percent tremendous pro yeah i tell everyone i'd rather listen to a hockey game on the radio than watch a nine inning baseball game on tv honestly <laughs> i mean well actually what one game that like really sticks out to me when i was young i was driving up with my dad, I think, to the Bell Cup or something in, in Canada. And we listened to the entire, I think it was game one of the Rangers-Penguin series in 2008 when they went up 3 nothing and then blew it and lost 4-3. to We listened to that yeah. whole game with you and Kenny on the radio, and that was like such an exciting game to even just listen to. You know? Yeah, no, there have been good ones. Like when you get into multiple overtimes too, where, mm-hmm. you know, I remember with Ottawa, we had had one where you're just – you know, like for me, it's like, you know, hands are sweating and you just, it, it gets to be so intense. Mm-hmm. And you know that one little mistake is it certainly having played, uh, you know, played the game and still have enough of that attachment to the, to the franchise. And it's every move, every, you know, I mean, they're slamming the desk or <laughs> jumping up and down or something like that. So there've been moments like that along the way. It's, uh, 
And I, I like, I just, I'm very fortunate to be able to be with a franchise that's been pretty important in my life and, uh, and doing the things now that uh, still stay in the game. So there's no question. That, yeah. uh, and I like radio too. Radio's, uh, the medium of radio is, uh, allows you to get away with a little more than you can on television. And you can play favorites a little bit since you are, you know, <laughs> on the Rangers radio. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we are kind of callers of the tribe, right? We, mm-hmm. we like, especially radio. Radio's kind of, you know, it's just, a, it's a pretty simple medium. Um, yeah, so I, I really, really have had the uh, opportunity and the pleasure of working, you know, most parts of the media. And, and uh, I will admit my favorite is, is radio. It's fun. Yeah, we actually... Uh, have one more question from a fan um what do you think of the refereeing in today's games i hear him in, in quotes i hear him go off sometimes on the radio <laughs> yeah i never that's alex, kind of, alex he, wax by the way i gotta give a shout out to who asked it <laughs> no the, you know you get caught up in the emotions and that like a lot of my penalty minutes when i played were yelling and screaming at the referee so mm-hmm. Those old habits have, 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 haven't, haven't, haven't died yet. So, but at the end of the day, I do respect the, the job they had. It's funny because the linesman last night, um, oh, whose name will come to me when uh, he's retiring after 28 seasons yeah. and both, both teams acknowledged his retirement. And really, it, in moments of rational behavior, um, you really respect what they do because at mm-hmm. best case, they're for 50% right. But emotion is not rational. It's irrational. So when you get all wound up and, and you know, you got to look at pick on somebody and uh, yeah. it's never, it's never the player's fault. It's always the referee who's screwed something up. So, but then, it, you know, we're talking like this, but th- there will be moments. I like to think as I've <laughs> gotten older that I've calmed down a little bit when it comes to that, but mm-hmm. there have been moments where old habits die hard. <laughs> well, that's also another thing. That's like the best thing about hockey that we have over any other sport. I mean, you look at basketball and if a guy like punches the air, he gets a technical yeah. foul. Then you yeah. got baseball. The umpire will throw you out of the game. Hockey right. players can motherfuck the ref the entire game and, and nothing <laughs> even happens. You know? Well, the thing is I'll never forget. Um, the first uh, NFL game I saw, was um was late in my career i might have been retired it was the uh the giants playing the eagles and wilbur montgomery was running back for the eagles so he runs he runs to the sidelines out of play he got drilled i'm telling you five yards out of bounds Mm -hmm. and like nothing happened i'm going if something like that happened in hockey we'd be fighting (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) right Right? Uh, yeah like nothing happened but that's the thing, it, you know, so people say, well, why is there fighting? Well, there's fighting because it's allowed. Because you can't tell me if fighting was allowed in football, there wouldn't, they'd never get off the field. <laughs> yeah, never. Never, right? Because any, any time a quarterback got sacked from behind? Ever, <laughs> yeah. Like. Well, in that game, too, you don't have to have the ball to get hit. Uh, to get hit. Yeah. Based in hockey, you have to have the puck or somewhere near the puck. Maybe they should allow fighting. Maybe this is our case. <laughs> we'll pitch we'll we'll pitch it to the nfl yeah well they, they wouldn't have it because you gotta know they would there's there would never be it would never stop i actually think taylor lewan an offensive lineman for the titans he's a huge hockey fan he's like leading the the, the box in the predators games when they're yeah. shirtless yeah. waving the towels yeah. i think he said i wish the nfl would take a, a page out of the hockey's book and allow fighting yeah, I don't know the way that sport is played. Holy cow! They would they would never you know because every play there yeah. would be a suspicious kind of hit, a late hit or something. So it'd be a pay per view event. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. seri- yeah, seriously. <laughs> uh, maybe that's your next year. Maybe now. yeah, that's that's the oh, career. Get that going. So. Yeah. Anyway, it's good stuff. Well, we were, a lot of guys were saying for the NHL bubble, they should put it on pay-per-view and, and uh, let the players like say whatever they want, like, you know, full exposure to the game. Yeah. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm a little too old school. I, 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 I think what happens on the ice and what yeah. happens in the room should stay in the room. I've often felt uh, that that winning team um, should have its moment before the cameras come in and before mm-hmm. social media and, but it's different now. It's different. Like I even watch, 
you know, and, and I, I'm not, I, I don't want to sound uh, to be an old school. Well, they shouldn't be doing this or that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. I get the medium's different. I get, but I watch Mika Zibanejad and Kreider and guys do the things they do when they go off ice after a victory. Um, and it's, it's almost like an Instagram moment or it's a, yeah. something to get posted. Well, guys, in all honesty, we're not even a playoff team, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, and, and I get the celebration, but the reason to celebrate is to win, to win it all. Yeah. And there's a certain, um, losing, losing does should teach a certain humility and that humility should serve to motivate, to have that moment when you celebrate, yeah. when you have, so, uh, and, I, and again, I get it. I, I, I get, but I think there's a, still an element there of old school where, okay, guys, you know, we just beat the devils, you know, six, three after blowing a five, nothing lead, Yeah. but we're not even a playoff team yet. So there are moments I think for, uh, but it's hard in this day and age when, uh, you know, there is a lot of contact, social contact and, and, uh, stuff. So I don't want that to sound like, oh, no, 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 not at all. Imagine Maloney. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, I, I hope you don't watch the world juniors because now the world juniors, like these guys, these kids win and they're like on their phones, like recording themselves. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, it's again uh, but if that's you know that's the culture and 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 the culture is such and it's like everything else right somewhere there's a middle there's a medium that uh, that you know it would make sense to everybody but you know it is what it is so you're like very happy you didn't play in this day and age where there's media everywhere like you're so yeah. you know yeah i like again that's why you ask on twitter um yeah. you know i'm not well i, I love twitter i'm just yeah saying. well but you know that's that's cool. I, I mean, <laughs> no, it is. But uh, I, I don't want I, I don't want everybody knowing what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I don't need to have or maybe this. No, whatever. I just and then I think, too, that there's kind of a, a swamp cesspool thing about Twitter that gets offensive. You yeah. know, when when the when the story goes out and, and gets viral that there's this issue between uh, Keandra Miller and, and Tony D'Angelo. Yeah, I, I'd rather not partake in that. And I'd rather not partake in something that a person probably wouldn't say to my face. Yeah, um, it's, so, I'm not it's so true. And I, I'm, I'm not going to engage because if I have something to say to someone or a, a thing, and that's the thing, and then it takes on its own life, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, so if I ever, like, when I ever look and I see for the, the, the lots of good comments that are out there, it would take one negative comment, say, okay, I'm done. Uh, I'm done. So I'd rather just, you know what, life goes on and people can engage the way they engage and more power to you or to them. Yeah. Uh, but I just assume, you know, we can chat like this. Well, yeah. Well, I, it's because there's probably thousands of guys who tweeted like at Tom Wilson, fuck you. That would never say that to us. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, Tom, come here. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and, you know, for every, yeah. So that's the thing. I mean, it's just, uh, so that part of it all um, mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, but if that's, it, but that's, that's just, that's the culture we're in and, and, yeah. and, and more power to, I have, I have a 38 year old son and 36 year old son, 33 year old daughter, 24 year old son. And to all de degrees, they're tied into the social, social network. Cause that's mm -hmm. life. Yeah. That's life now for your generation. So yeah. it's cool. Well, it's cool that it allows us to, you know, get this kind of communication and also, right. you know, and also like, I would like, this wouldn't even exist without like social media or the podcast no. stuff. But, no. um, so no. it is cool for that kind of stuff, I think. Yeah. I mean, again, if, 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 if the dialogue is just chit chatting and, and like yeah. we're doing and people find that entertaining for whatever reasons or finding <laughs> it thoughtful or finding uh -huh. it, well, that guy's full of shit or whatever, you know, but to have somebody then have a platform to denigrate one's personality or family yeah. or, or things. I, 
I don't know. Just, well, actually, the the prime example of this was last night when Adam Fox won the Stephen McDonald Award, and he's waving to the family, sp- like spitting chicklets, cropped out the McDonald family, and it made it look like Adam was like waving to the Islanders, and Islander Twitter was like, "Fox is a dick." Like I was like, "No, that's not." Yeah, they, they cropped the picture. Like he's is that right? Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. they went they went off thinking like he's like like Adam is like the most humble guy I've ever met in my entire oh, yeah. life, <laughs> and Islander fans are like, "Oh, he's like." Taunting the Islanders, I'm like, no, he's not. The family's right above. They cropped the picture. Like, it's it's just so ridiculous how you can kind of manipulate media, right? Or even, well, again, yeah. it's out of my. Uh, I'm sorry if I told you that. Now you're gonna go to no, Twitter and no, like get pissed no, off. No, I'm not. I, I, I'm <laughs> not shocked. I just, I, I just don't know the mentality of why. Well, this is what I get. This, this is what. So I had a good friend of mine. Um, who's you know not my age but closer to my age than he was to your age right Mm -hmm. so it had to do with somebody's contract or he said yes yeah I mean I heard uh, something rather uh, oh you heard well I was on the internet okay (laughs) where on the internet I don't know just on the internet I said yeah right I said well was not it accredited source or who was it we'll look it up so I don't know well what in the world are you quoting it for? At least if, if you find something, at least do a little bit of work to mm-hmm. find out a, who it was. And if it's somebody that has four followers, or even if they have a gazillion followers or whatever, at least do a little work before you hit a, a reply and, and, and stuff like that or, or broadcast or something. I could tweet right now. Dave Maloney told me he's retiring. And then, yeah. you know, who yeah. knows? So goodbye yeah. into it or whatever. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, but anyway, that was their. And, and uh, it's just, it's a generational thing uh, mm-hmm. where it comes back to, I still think that ultimately uh, the win is the Stanley Cup. Um, you're as good as your team is around you. And, and that's, I think, there's still enough of, I, and I'm sure it's my generation that's managing the game now too, right? Mm-hmm. So they've have to have done a, you know, uh, 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 some work to make it all work with the way this next generation's their thought process. What's important? What means? What you know? And that's the magic is is finding out. Okay, you've got a new generation here that thinks a certain way. They're exposed a certain way. They have, uh, you know, they're m- much more uh, feel they have have more rights than they do more rights. Mm-hmm. They're, they're entitled to more than we ever were, but. You know what? If you're smart, you got to figure out how that all works and make it work. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And um, thank you. Well, first of all, thank you so much for doing no, this. I have, I, I have one more question, though, to wrap it up. All right. Yeah. What is your favorite thing about being a part of the Rangers organization for as long as you've been a part of it? Being a part of it is just, you know, I worked on Wall Street for 20 years. Oh, wow. I didn't know um, after I retired, I was able to stay, had, keep my foot in the kind of broadcasting end of it. Uh, I ended up you know, working in New York, working on Wall Street. I'll, t- I'll tell you the, the one thing about being a part, and I, I can't speak for the Knicks, the Yankees, or the Giants, the other um, traditional franchises. Mm-hmm. When the Rangers won the Cup in 94, I was working on a big trading floor uh, in, in Manhattan. And by the time we got home after the uh, June night in 94, it was, it was late. It was late when I got home. So I didn't get into work till after the market opening. And I walked in, it was a big trading floor, and the, the whole floor stood up and applauded. And applauded you? Was, yeah. It, <laughs> but it was an acknowledgement that I was part of that franchise. Yeah. That's so and cool. The old school, and, and I can't speak for other cities, but that's the one thing for here, once you're a part of the Ranger franchise, somewhere, somehow, someone has a connection and you have a connection to them and it's a pretty deep connection. Mm -hmm. So that's, that resonates mostly with being part of the Ranger franchise. And, and, and really when you look at it, we, we haven't won a lot, but there's still a deep, deep, it's an original six thing. There are generations of families that have followed this franchise and to be, have been a small part of, of, the history of this league through the Ranger franchise is probably, you know, something I'm most proud of. And we'll, we'll 
take to wherever the hell I end up after I'm gone here. Yeah. Well, I actually, that actually brings up one more point that I wanted to ask. Uh, where did you, where'd you live when you were playing for the Rangers? Cause were they practicing in Long Beach? When you were yeah. There? Yeah. So I, you... I lived in Long Beach for three years, better part two, two years, mm-hmm. two years. I roomed, um, I got called up my second year of pro. I ended up here in January through the end of the year. So I lived in Long Beach mm-hmm. and then lived in Atlantic Beach. Um, and then when the Rangers moved out of, of, uh, of Long Beach to Westchester, uh, I lived in the city for a year mm-hmm. and then lived in Connecticut and then lived in, yeah, lived in Connecticut. Because so, I feel like it wasn't very common to live in the city. Uh, no, yeah. no, it was only when uh, Sonny Werblin came, um, he was a, a form, he was a, the agent behind Joe Namath and uh, you wow. know, Joe Namath was the, the big time football guy. And mm-hmm. um, when he came in actually, and he came in to run the garden in 78, 79, and we were, we were young, we were young, we had some personality and, and it was only then that the, the guys were encouraged to move into the city because prior to that you were discouraged. Rod was the only guy that lived in the city, Gilbert. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, um, then I got married and, and, and moved out to uh, Connecticut. So, but guys like Duke and Gresh, um, Donnie Murdoch, Pat Hickey, uh, David Farish, there were a number of guys, Phil, mm-hmm. there were a number of guys that lived in the city in 78, from 78 on. Yeah. And, and then when the guys, when they won the cup, they were all living in the city basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't really hear that until um, we talked to I talked to Molly and Molly was telling me that like yeah. it wasn't very common for guys to live there, which is crazy yeah. to me. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Well, it was frowned upon. I'll tell you the story. It was what the FBI used to send a guy around every year um, at training camp. They would go to every city and they would tell you about the places you shouldn't be hanging out in. That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Right? No, but really. Now, again, you're talking about you know, there were only six teams for a while and then it went to 12 and then it went yeah. to 14, 16, 18. So there weren't 30 teams and then life was a lot different then. But I remember Frank Tar- Tarpey was the FBI guy that came to talk to us. I remember it was my first training camp. I was 18 uh, and it happened to be in Kitchener, uh, mm-hmm. my hometown. And the training said, camp was? Yeah, training camp because the Kitchener Kitchener had an affiliation going back to the Kitchener Rangers. Okay. Junior team. So camp, my first training camp was in my hometown. That's so cool. And uh, so Frank Tarpey gives this talk and he said, fellas, we go to the other cities and we have a list of places we don't want you hanging out in. He said, for you guys in New York, we give you the yellow pages. <laughs> Basically, there's no place you guys. Uh-huh. Hang out in. <laughs> yeah. So, so, and again, the city was much, much different. Times Square was you know, Times Square was light years away from what it was to become. Um, and uh, so you were discouraged from uh, from living in Manhattan in those days. And, and we really weren't and really didn't hang out a lot in Manhattan either. Just played the games and went back to the beach. So, so that's, became, not, that's not a bad option, though. I'm not complaining about that. That was yeah. which turned out to be bad because in those days, uh, you know, there were only beach people because a lot of people would leave in the winter and those uh-huh. houses we would rent from, uh, from snowbirds. Yeah. And then there were all airline personnel. So nobody had kind of regular hours. So it was, it was a good thing that they got out of Long Beach actually, yeah. because uh, it was more conducive to, you know, paying attention to things you were supposed to be doing to be a better player. So, so it was all good though. It was all, uh, all good times had by all. And we all tried to do the best we could and uh, had some fun while we were doing it. Yeah, no, that sounds really cool. I, I wish I could talk to you for like another two hours, but uh, I guess well, well, I do want to hear your Stanley Cup prediction, though. Who do you think wins it this year? Um, My pick's Boston. Vegas. Vegas? I think Vegas is, uh, you know, again, they it might be early, but they've got enough experience there. They've had two. They've had one final cup run. They, they, the second run they had was a, you know, a penalty that probably shouldn't have been called and San Jose scored four power play goals. Yep. And then last year they just ran into a team that was playing was a little bit better. Yeah. I think Vegas, I think it's time for Vegas. It's a good pick. I, maybe Boston Vegas meet up. Who knows? But right, uh, they do that. We'll do this again. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you yeah, so much. This good. was a blast. All yeah. right.
Keep up the good work. I like the hockey look too with the no teeth. I'm actually, I'm getting them fixed May 10th. <laughs> right. my, my playing days are over, so it's time to, to get them fixed. Good. All right. Thanks Thank a lot. You. Keep in touch. Will do. All right. Be good. All right. Bye. I want to thank Dave Maloney once again for joining us on the show. I love talking to him. I hope you guys really enjoyed that and found it a little insightful and and very fun because uh, the stories he told was awesome. And just being able to talk to him was a real honor for me. But some things to look forward to this week. The Rangers do have two home games against the Washington Capitals on Monday and Wednesday. And then they're on the road on Thursday in Boston and Saturday in Boston, which will be the last game of the season. I don't see any possible scenario where the games in Boston actually mean something for the Rangers. I think it's more so going to be a chance for the young guys to get some confidence in the last couple games of the season so they can head into next year with confidence. I, I expect the young guys and prospects to play a little more than normal. You know, I hope Lafreniere and Kako see a ton of minutes just because those guys can use it when it's a game that doesn't really mean anything. Um, so those are just things to watch this week. I'm excited to watch the last four games and just see the potential for next year. I know it was a tough finish, and we all hoped that they would have been able to make the playoffs, but I think what this team's accomplished – this season is a lot, especially when you lose Artemi Panarin for a couple weeks there in the middle of the season. I mean, that was a huge hit for this team, and that's something that is definitely tough to bounce back from when your best player is not there. So I think they accomplished a little more than I expected this year. I did not expect the Rangers to even really have a playoff chance in the last week of the season. So for them to have this success this year makes me very happy, and I think there's only going to be more success in the years to come. I do want to touch on Adam Fox's chance to win the Norris Trophy once again before we do wrap up. For me, I still think it's Foxy's to lose. I think he's played amazing, and he leads the NHL defenseman in points. So I think if he can find a way to get some points in the last four games, I still think it's his. But I could see the NHL going with a guy like Victor Hedman or John Carlson or Kale McCarr simply because those guys are all on playoff teams. And I think it does hurt Foxy's chance to win the Norris because of the fact that the Rangers aren't making the playoffs. I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I understand why that could be the case. If you're the best defenseman in the NHL and your team's not in the playoffs, I think that actually says more about your game, that you carried a team that couldn't get any help and couldn't make the playoffs themselves, as opposed to being on a good team that, you know, you were great on, but you didn't necessarily carry. You know, but John Carson, Victor Hedman, and Cal McCarr are unbelievable players, obviously very deserving of the award, but the year that Adam Fox has had this year, I think, is just unbelievable and so not unexpected but very 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 impressive and I know all Ranger fans are really excited to see what he does in the future I know I am especially but that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode I will touch on the final four games of the season on next week's episode it should be a lot of fun and thank you guys for listening please send any questions that you have to believe in rangers at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter and instagram Believe in Rangers. You can follow me personally also at Johnny Lazarus and on Twitter at jlazzy 23 um, I love when you guys give topics. I want to thank Rami once again for sending in an email. I thought that was a great point and a great talking point for me to talk about. Um, so thank you guys. Let's go Rangers. And hopefully these last four games are positive. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.